0: This is the third episode of Procrastination Castle series. In the first episode, we learned what makes people serial procrastinators. Today, we'll focus on offering solutions to deal with the behavioral side of procrastination. At the end of this episode, you will have some strategies on how to get out of your mind and into action. Hello, Dr. Jones, and thanks for joining me today in our second conversation about procrastination.
1: Hello, Shabnam, and thank you for having me. I'm excited to get into the solutions for all the aspects to the problem that we discussed last time.
0: In the Serial Procrastinators episode, we discussed that we procrastinate in mysterious ways. Some people over-research for a project they have in mind, others do all the unimportant tasks to avoid dealing with the most um, important part of their project. Some are so scared of the outcome, that uh, they push the important project to one side and they don't even dare to think about um, taking the first step. Some lie to themselves and other people that the big dream they had all their life well, wasn't so important after all and they just settle for the path of least resistance. And many people either avoid dealing with the issue altogether or deny the issue at all costs. We learned that we could put all these behaviors that look so random into three major buckets, our personality traits, learning processes and thinking processes. Today, we're going to discuss solutions uh, for dealing with traits. So tell me, Dr. Jones, please, what are some of the strategies we can use to deal with um, our unhealthy traits?
1: Well, it's interesting, the the example you gave of over-researching really speaks to the thinking processes, telling yourself, I call this fancy procrastination, telling yourself that more research is required and that excuse, that cover story, really hides the fact that you're you're avoiding the unpleasant part, the writing, which is what's really needed. Um, So, strategies to deal with traits, um, I think we're addressing strategies that deal with all three. That you'll find this is a one, no matter what the cause of your procrastination, um, new act, new acting your STFAs is going to be the solution. My new act is derived from ACT therapy, so I want to give full credit to uh, Stephen Hayes, uh, Russ Harris, and really an international network of scientists and practitioners and, and scientists guiding practitioners with mindfulness-based and value-based framework for doing therapy. New Act refers to noticing, understanding, and accepting what's going on for you, what's really causing your procrastination in this moment. And it's really meant to be used in the moment of decision-making. Should I do the thing or should I go binge watch Netflix? So new act is something if you could write these steps on a card and laminate that card and keep it in your front pocket for procrastination situations, noticing, understanding, and accepting, then finding the, finding a way to commit to an action that serves your goals and values. And that's usually doing the things right. And the T is tacked on at the end to remind you to tolerate the expected discomfort. If you make a decision to have discomfort, For the sake of a future payoff, you'll find that your discomfort is reduced by your noticing, understanding and accepting that very discomfort.
0: Um, Okay, yeah, thanks uh, for the explanation. So I had heard of ACT therapy. I had never heard of new act uh, because it's, it's a concept that you made yourself. Um, so I'm l- looking forward to understanding the concept and how to apply this um, on the procrastination strategies. But you know what? Sometimes I just um, think about procrastination um, as this person that is sitting on a chair on the edge of a cliff and the chair is wobbly and there are these vultures that are going like circling over his head and um well you know they they really need to move if they want to save themselves they really need to move and get off that chair but then also it's they're scared they're super scared of, of falling off to the to the end of the cliff so they they might sit there tight but then if they don't move then that's going to be their death. Too. And I think procrastination is in a way like that where, where people are just so frightened that they don't dare to do anything, but but they also have to do something. Like if if this person, if this imaginary person wants to um, get themselves off this situation of the met- metaphorical vultures, they, um, they have no other option by getting off that chair, no matter how we spin this story, the only way to, to get out of this situation is um, to get out of the chair. So can you, how can this person, they are so emotionally involved and they're just so scared, how can they sit down and logically put the, the new act or some of the other strategies that you wanted to tell us today to get themselves out of this um, scary situation?
1: your chair and vultures um, example, one might argue that it's a bit too um, emotionally laden or heavy, but really for a lot of my clients, procrastination can be just as heavy as that. In this situation, if you move, you might die. And if you don't move, you will die. So you're really pitting those two um, against each other. New Act enables you to move into your observing mind to notice. I'm afraid of moving. To understand, fear is appropriate. If I move, I might die. To accept your fear in the service of your goals and values, to live. So if you, if you notice, understand and kind of process your fear as, well, and then orient to your, your value of your life, um, it will help you move. And and that's what I argue applies to all procrastination situations, um, including this extreme example.
0: This extreme example, yes, indeed. Indeed, this is extreme. Okay, so you you just dropped something else on us, and that was the observing mind. I mean, how many minds do we have?
1: Well, this is an old idea. I think the Hindus, um, not so much the religion, but the philosophy of mind, and the Buddhists after that, um, the Hindus were first, um, they talked about an observing mind that can look down upon the thinking mind. The Buddhists also referred to the the monkey mind um, as the thinking mind, right? So we've got this kind of autopilot mind that reacts to situations, and with deliberate intention or will, we can shift into an observing state. We can notice our thoughts. We can decide if we believe everything we think, We can decide whether or not to buy into our excuses, why we don't have to move right now. Um, And we can really move to a more, um, we can see the big picture much better from that observing state. Um, I could go on, I I think we've actually identified a probable location for the observing mind. Um, If you want, I can get into that a bit later.
0: Sure, interesting. Okay, so remember that observing mind that there is, we can actually notice that. That's part of noticing the thoughts. Yes, Understand? very much maybe, so. maybe part of this that whatever our mind is telling us, we don't have to believe it. Can I say that?
1: Exactly. So by noticing your thoughts, you've now moved into a judging position. You know, do I believe what I'm thinking? Do I really believe that I don't have to move right now? Or that I could do it later? Um, from the observing mind, you, you, you do want to understand. So in episode one, we talked about the various causes of procrastination in that you, the N-U-A-C-T, the you is the understanding where you're trying to come to an understanding of what is your internal process? How do you usually procrastinate? Um, you want to kind of have compassion for that and not get pushed around by it because ultimately you want to move towards your goal. Which is going to require you to overcome excuses and and various other mechanisms that enable procrastination. So you need to understand your personal journey to becoming a serial procrastinator, and then the 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 accept really is where you accept the thoughts without being pushed around by them. You park the thoughts and you accept the feelings. Um, You can't really park feelings. So acceptance of feelings is really having the feelings. Mm -hmm. Acceptance of thoughts is accepting that they have arisen and deciding not to be pushed around by them, not to be behaviorally determined by them.
0: And you act, the C and the The
1: T. The C is committing to a value-guided action and T is to tolerate the expected discomfort as you move towards your value. And of course, goals, surviving in your in your cliff example, the goal is to survive serving the value of life, having a long life, right? So goals and values, I mean, it, it's a bit uh, semantic, but goals are derived from values. You know, goals can be ticked off. I've completed this goal. Values are more like compass directions, as um, ACT therapists will tell you. Values are things like financial security or health and wellness. You're never really done with a value. Whereas goals, um, working out three times a week for 52 weeks, um, that's a goal that you can tick off as having been completed. Goals are derived from values. Make sense?
0: Hmm, okay, um, you know what, I just, uh, I just thought about something. For, say I'm gonna use the example of that fit person again. So the per- uh, for somebody that regularly works out, they run, they cycle, they go to gym, they know their limits. And they are consistently pushing the barriers to make those limits less and and expand on their capacity in the gym. So because they've been consistently doing this, because they're experienced, based on this experience, they can add or alter stuff to their workout regime. Now, for a taskmaster or the people that are very used to achieving and producing a lot of results, they know, how much work they can put in. They know how much effort they can do and they're constantly expanding on it. Now, for somebody that has just decided to start producing more results for their life and achieving their goals, this limit is unknown. They don't know how much they can do and I think it's it's important to discover this, just like this person that goes to gym. I mean, say, say I don't know, say they can sustain a plank for ninety seconds. A very good way that some trainers tell you to do to know your limits is that um, go on a plank until you fall off. So I think if, for somebody that is just started avoiding their procrastination, um, they need to do something along those lines to understand how mu- realistically how much work can they produce and also how much can they push this bar upwards. So what do you say about this? How can they go about finding the limits and then expanding in, and making themselves little by little uh, produce more and more on something that uh, they are not very experienced and they are just learning themselves and learning what they can and cannot do.
1: I do think that willpower is a muscle that can be grown and developed um, just like a muscle. It's interesting, we're talking about the goal, uh, the health, the, the value of health and wellness and the goal of sustaining a regular gym attendance. And then we're also talking about a willpower muscle that's going to enable you to go and develop your muscles. So it's interesting. But um, we've also talked about the trait of laziness and you remember me objecting to that psychologist find that to be a fuzzy concept, so yes. we try to isolate it and break it down. And I, I raised the, the idea of um, poor tolerance of discomfort for the sake of goal. So that can be a state that you've worked yourself into as a result of years of not working the muscle. Yes. Um, you, you could argue at some point it becomes a trait rather than a state because it's been so long or, or you never did develop it. Um, ACT therapy is is really nice, one of the things that therapists develop in ACT therapy is a thing called regarding yourself as a context for experience, so self as context, rather than believing a conceptualized definition of yourself. So it's really like um, the ability to defuse from thoughts and beliefs about yourself.
0: What does it mean, self as context, meaning that you can have different... Behaviors or personalities in different situations, is that intimate?
1: Meaning that even if you've had a pattern all your life of um, taking the path of least resistance, not struggling against, you know, not deciding to have discomfort, always kind of taking the easy way, procrastinating on tasks, not going to the gym, even if you've always been that way, you're a context for experience and there's no need for you to keep on acting in that way. You can, you can have a new pattern of behavior starting in this moment now. So it's really a very optimistic, uh, it opens you up to have different experiences, right? If you don't regard yourself as a set of eternal traits, rather you're a context, you're a place where experience occurs and you can willfully orient your attention to a value and move even when you're anxious, even as your mind is screaming excuses and reasons why you can't. You can have a new experience now if you orient to what's important and decide to move your body.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so you can, by someone I'm hearing, if I'm hearing it correctly, you can teach an old dog new tricks, in this case, new traits. You can be someone all your life and then if you work on it consciously, you can change
1: yes regarding yourself as a context for experience and for new experiences that you haven't had you can learn new tricks and you can make those those can become the new uh, the new pattern the new habit habit learning is spared in disorders like adhd or um, constitutionally low tolerance for discomfort whatever the trait is that you're coming in with Um, you can change those patterns through habit learning
0: yeah okay yeah I I think and there is this thing there's this it says that the definition of insanity I don't know who was it that said this. was it Einstein or somebody else that said the definition of insanity is doing the same things and expecting different results yeah. so if you want to change your traits you need to change and, and have some new habits interesting we can't talk about habit learning maybe a little down the line uh for for the sake of getting rid of our procrastination but to give some idea to people can you give us some strategies or some some things that people can do to strengthen the willpower muscle
1: for sure i think um one thing to do i found it effective in my practice to gamify the situation so to take it out of the realm of oh geez you know i'm not, I'm not a good person i really need to change but oh it's so hard to move that into a let 's play the game of grabbing opportunities to tolerate discomfort as often as we, as we can notice them, so to to realize this is a general a muscle that applies to all situations, tolerance of discomfort while doing a plank exercise, deciding to breathe regularly and not make a grimacing face and to just you know hold your face in a in a dignified position as you tolerate the discomfort of this plank exercise and decide actively decide to have discomfort as you sustain the plank for some you know incrementally growing longer period of time Um, you can take a cold shower you can make make a a decision to have a can-do attitude to all kinds of little things around the house so jumping up and doing it now do it now and applying that to a lot of little things can make you stronger when it comes time to do those dreaded things, those greatly non-preferred tasks that you're procrastinating on.
0: Um, I thought about the example of the gym again. Uh, When people go to gym, one of the advice, uh, one of the pieces of advice that a trainer gives you is, if you are new to this, if you're new to working out, if you don't know your, your capacities, your limits, how much you can and cannot do, a good way to find it out is to go up to the point of failure because um, sometimes we just wanna give up uh, before it's time because the task is just so painful. And and bit by bit, as you go to gym more often and as you do this exercise of, of going up to the point of failure more often, then you can learn what you can and cannot do realistically and how to expand on what you already are capable of doing. I was wondering if you can do the same thing for tasks or for getting things done for someone that has procrastinated all, all their lives, they may not know how much they can actually achieve. So will that method work? If somebody says, okay, I really, really hate creating these Excel formulas or or doing my task or e- any another equally non-preferred task at work, it's really taxing my brain. Will that work if they go Can they apply this method will that work if they go up to the point of failure where they really cannot work or cannot put in any more work and then uh, figure out their limits that way and then when they know their limits at least they can figure out ways of um, expanding on them is that is that the methodology you can apply to procrastination
1: sure that could be uh, a way to move forward to to sustain until failure a lot of uh, personal trainers uh, operate with that principle As I'm sadly aware Um, or you can you could simply you know increase increase the length of time if you want not go to failure I'm I'm not sure what you know an expert in that field would argue for but as you're doing it um, if you bring attention if you notice understand and accept your discomfort you will reduce the discomfort deciding to have discomfort and explicitly using internal speech using your mind's voice to say why you're doing it right you're committing to a goal i'm going to have this discomfort and sustain this plank um, and this is not only going to make me stronger for the plank but i'm growing a a general muscle to make myself more willing to tolerate discomfort that's going to help me in all areas of my life so you're you're deciding to have your discomfort um, and you know what the value is that's being served by, di- by having your discomfort. So you're essentially buying something valuable and you're paying for it with tolerance of discomfort. If, if you regard it that way, you'll find you, you can sustain for significantly more seconds than you thought.
0: That is absolutely correct. Um, so the the willpower muscle exercises, do difficult things, take yeah. the cold shower, yeah. do more physical workout and go with more than you can actually do. And when, when you are physically strong, then you will be able to also tolerate the the discomfort or the difficulty of mm-hmm. the tasks you don't like now another side of, of being lazy mm-hmm. i know you don't like it but <laughs> it's important to yeah. put the things as they are or being labeled as lazy is that the the low tolerance for discomfort or laziness is a trait mm-hmm. but this is entangled with thinking and learning processes mm-hmm. uh, if someone's labels themselves Lazy and if this label has been reinforced over time, they've been called the same thing by their parents, by their teacher at work. So they have this image of themselves in their head. How can they get out of this framing? Okay.
1: Thought. Well, consistent with the broader um, perspective that ACT therapy, my little new ACT mechanism, um, all of these these are embedded in the sort of mindfulness tradition. So, you know, the pillars of mindfulness are making use of your observing mind, uh, having compassion for yourself, and perhaps specific to ACT therapy is, is the pillar of clarity of what you value in this life. And so all the mindfulness stuff is in the service of pursuing that. And could, could you actually repeat the question again? no, I, I forgot what it was. <laughs> <I> <laughs> Got was tangled up in my it. thoughts. <laughs> <That's okay.
0: laughs> I was just talking we were just talking about the um, the dealing with the uh, the thinking processes and the, mm. and the framing uh, like this thought that people have in their head that uh, they consider themselves they have this image of themselves that I'm lazy. If one day they want to change, this is a very internalized concept in their head. It's been reinforced over all their life. So how can they deal with this? It's going to be a long process of
1: change. Uh, Right. So um, one of the principles in in mindfulness-based therapies is meeting yourself where you're at. Uh, Again, the acceptance. I am weak in this regard. I, I have very little tolerance for discomfort. That's how it is right now. Um, that's one of the meditations, actually, bringing awareness to uncomfortable states and facts, and acknowledging that's how it is right now. Um, and I, yet, I value moving towards a better state. And I will have compassion for myself uh, as I notice that I'm behind other people in this regard. And yet, I will I will maintain committed action towards this behavior change that I'm that I'm uh, seeking to achieve. So meeting your, be, being clear on where you're at. I am a procrastinator. I am weak at this. Um, and being really clear about where you want to go and having compassion for yourself as you move towards the desired state.
0: Yes, and I think the compassion part is really important because it's not going to be a short process, is it?
1: Well, no. Um, I've talked, I, I spend a lot of time on that in therapy. It, it can be a very long process. And in early stages, you might be you know, one one out of 10 learning trials, you succeed in remembering to do the things. And um, of the trials where you remember, you might not always succeed in doing the things. So you might, you might think, oh, I, I remember and I must do this and yet fail to do it. So uh, either failing to remember or failing to do um, could be failures. You might be one out of 10 when you leave your therapist's office in overcoming procrastination in a certain situation. And yet you can get traction from one out of 10. And it's unhelpful to get tangled up in 9 out of 10 fails and being down on yourself.
0: Yeah, it would be like, exactly, I'm going to use the example of the <laughs> person that decides to go to gym again because people can relate to it. It would be like this unfit person, hasn't worked out in their life, now they decide to become fit. So they are working on the muscles, which was the exercises you gave, like the, the cold shower and the, you mm. know, the doing the difficult things we Do don't it like. Now. Mm-hmm and to strengthen the willpower muscle but it's going to take time because the person that has procrastinated all all their life they are beginners at this so just like that person that is going to gym they have to understand that it's going to be a process it's going to take time and they have to be kind to themselves in Mm. this process but what about this um internalized critic
1: Yes, yeah, so, so uh, this came out in a group therapy one time and a client asked me if they are supposed to be tolerant of their intolerance. <laughs> and I said, yes, so the internal critic will often uh, take over because that's the established habit right now. Mm-hmm. And we've set an intention to not get tangled up in that thought, in those thoughts, the cognitive processing, um, but we might miss, we might not always be mindful. And so we'll lapse into the old habit of self-critical thoughts, the feelings of shame that come, or anxiety that come in connection with those thoughts, and if that's the case, note it. The moment you become aware, you can disengage and orient to the value, and move in a different direction.
0: So, Dr. Jones, could you, uh, before we move on to the the rest of the conversation, could you give us, or are there any more strategies you can give us to strengthen? Our uh,
1: willpower muscle. Yeah. So earlier I mentioned um, it seems to be a general muscle. Tolerance of discomfort, no matter in what part of life it's it's used, there does seem to be a general benefit to the ability to tolerate discomfort. Say when it comes to those dreaded tasks. Mm-hmm which is maybe what brought listeners to this podcast in the first place. So um, interestingly, we see converging evidence. So there's a a fellow at Harvard um, researching aging and how to slow it down, how to understand aging. And he identifies three um, methods of pulsing, um, and he expands on the concept of pulsing. um, Pulsing in terms of moving into an exhausted state with high-intensity interval training and then recovering from that, so 30 seconds of intense sprinting recover um, maybe doing three times three times 30. so three workouts a week with three bursts of 30. he talks about pulsing in terms of moving into a very cold uh, an uncomfortable, again, uncomfortable state. So the alternating of hot and cold to so the cold shower and all the benefits to the body that come from that, that seems to help um, with aging or slowing it down. Thirdly, he talks about intermittent fasting, moving into a very uncomfortable and hungry state, which, by the way, gets better as you as you keep doing it. But again, we're we're developing our willingness to tolerate discomfort. So we're serving all the goals and values that you and I are talking about, mm-hmm. and coincidentally we're helping the body to, to age more slowly. So here we're seeing converging evidence from different scientific quests, all telling us that tolerance of discomfort is not only good for functioning, but good for your health. So uh, there I've just outlined three ways um, that you can, uh, if you do these things, you'll be uncomfortable in the short term, but you're serving your goals and values. Right, so um, tolerating hunger in, in a in a doctor-approved intermittent fasting yes. regimen, um, tolerating exhaustion in a HIT training regimen, and uh, tolerating cold showers—again, very uncomfortable—but you get an immediate payoff in terms of dopamine and ability to focus, and you're also serving health goals and values as well.
0: Well, I think it is true that rarely what we feel like doing is in line. With our with our goals and values, especially the long term ones, because body our bodies always want to take it easy and, and have a good time and path not of have least any pain. And, yeah. Yes, go through the path. Immediate of gratification. Resistance. Yes, yeah. that's very correct. Um, so you mentioned this, and I remember that when you were talking about the the new act uh, mm-hmm. therapy, you talked about TFSA? S T F A. Yeah. So what are we new? At?
1: What are we noticing, understanding, and accepting? Uh, There's really nothing more to psychology than situational factors or the stimulus upon a person. And then the response of the person can be broken into thoughts, feelings and actions. So situation, thoughts, feelings and action tendencies. I say action tendencies, is because the tendency is to procrastinate if we stay on our autopilot settings. We're gonna blow it off and binge watch Netflix, right? But we're trying to override our STFAs. Our STFAs are these established autopilot patterns. We're trying to use a mindfulness strategy to, over, to notice, understand, and accept that pattern with compassion and yet not be pushed around by it to, in the moment of decision-making, overcome the STFA with value-guided action. So you're noticing, understanding, and accepting your pattern, and then in that moment, you're committing to doing something uncomfortable, that you're gonna to tolerate that discomfort uh, consciously, willfully, and, and explicitly hold in awareness the payoff, that your future self will appreciate this. this, this tolerance of discomfort.
0: Okay, very well. So the SDFA tells us our unique, if we think about it, tells us our unique story of how we became what we became.
1: It's really describing patterns of dysfunction. And if you've decided that procrastination is a pattern that's not working for you, you know what I mean? Then that's the, the STFA we're working on. Um, this is the standard stuff of therapy. For some, it's procrastinating, STFAs. For others, it's um, neurotic or avoidance, STFAs. STFA is a general term for taking a pattern that you want to change Mm -hmm. and laying it on the table for analysis. In what situations does it occur? What are my thoughts? What are the cognitive and attentional features of Mm -hmm. this problem? What are the feelings that are involved? And what's the action tendency or the behavioral result and... And obviously if, you, if you're processing this in therapy, it's an STFA that's not working for you and you're trying to change it. You're trying to override your habit that exists with new chosen behaviors.
0: Okay, I think I understood now better the, the correlation. Mm, so I think with, with somebody that has been procrastinating all their life, it's, it's a bit difficult for them to know how much can they go how much can they actually accomplish? Because part of this knowing your limits, both upper and lower, comes from uh, experience and comes yeah. from pushing those limits. So they might want to start really big. I think I, I whenever I talk to procrastinators, and, and I often used to think that procrastinators certainly can't have any lofty ideas in their head because if they did, they would go and get them. But then you, you talk to them and there is so many you know, kind of dictator style um, instruction that I must do this and I have to be able to do this and you know I have to achieve this and then they have all these lofty ideas and big dreams in their head but then you you look at the action side and nothing is happening. Can we say that this is because you're not practicing doing something, you gotta start small and build on it? Could it be because of that to gradually increase your capacity for doing stuff and then get to all those lofty ideas and and i i I mean it's i think it's a bit counterintuitive because for years i was uh i supported the idea that brian tracy had about the two frogs that if you're supposed to eat two frogs early in the morning and that's for (laughs) breakfast eat the ugly one first exactly (laughs) eat the (laughs) other one first and i and i often thought oh yeah then it makes sense because then you don't have to Mm think the ugly frog the rest of the day but For somebody, it it will work maybe for somebody that is used to doing things, but for somebody that is not, maybe they need a bit of a warm-up task. What do you you think about
1: that? Yeah, psychology, there's a lot of these contradictory, um, sort of wise old sayings, and then um, when we do the research, we find only one of them is supported. (laughs) So, um, this one's a bit tough. I think there are situations and or specific people who, if they're able, they should certainly eat the ugly one first um, i remember my dad saying work first play later and i didn't like that very much as a kid and he was a bit of a workaholic dentist so he wasn't a good representative of that philosophy yeah. um, to my 10 year old brain anyway um, so eat the ugly one first you know get it over with there's a lot of good sense to that right you know when you're hungry it'll be the least. You know, the force of your hunger will help to overcome the ugliness of the frog. Uh, much harder to eat the ugly frog when you're already a bit full, yes. right? It's going to be a much more challenging <laughs> task. But kids and, and people who struggle with procrastination are, are likely to start with the easy one, right?
0: Yes.
1: I, I think if you can do that, you should. But if you can't, you should st- you should do what you can do. You know, if eating both frogs was a requirement then um, you should eat as much frog as you can right? and then come back to it over repeated learning trials um, and working into a pattern where you can eat both frogs. Um, When it comes to non-preferred tasks, I've encouraged clients to do, um, if they're really struggling, to say, I will procrastinate, but just before, I will do some portion of the task, Mm -hmm. even just five minutes, even two minutes, preparing the work area. Um, getting orienting to the task, removing the mystery from the task can, can really help you come back to the task. Uh, that gets into a whole uh, long, longer discussion. Uh, removing the mystery and reducing anxiety avoidance of tasks that comes from anxiety because you're not sure how you're going to do a task mm-hmm. it can be helpful just to spend 5 minutes orienting to the task getting clear on the task to remove that mystery that's causing anxiety but even without that factor do something do do a value guided action a successive approximation of the target behavior do what you can and be be okay with that is my prescription yeah
0: And not getting into the 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 tedious details, you know. In the software uh, software programmers, Mm. they don't ever create a software perfect from the get go. Right. They go through this methodology called called agile, which means that they they write something, and then as they go along, they fix the bugs and they. Yes. Gradually fix this. Do
1: something, even if it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, do something. And actually,
0: I think the doing something brings yeah. in more action. Yeah. Uh, more, much more than thinking about doing something. Because when mm. you do it, then some of the stuff that you never thought about mm. c- come out, and then you mm-hmm. can think about them. And for somebody that is not practicing doing stuff, you need yeah. some warm up. My daughter plays piano, and uh, the teacher is giving her a warm up exercise. She's a kid. Kids and procrastinators alike yeah. have a problem starting tasks. Mm-hmm. Also have a problem stopping mm-hmm. tasks. So in general, I think you can, you can safely mm-hmm. say that procrastinators do not like switching tasks. Mm-hmm. So she gets these two coins she puts on, on her hand while she's playing the piano. And she has the same song that she needs to practice with the coins. She has to make sure that the coins don't fall off. And by the time she's paid attention to that and she's practiced the song, her brain goes into the piano playing mode. So maybe for, for people that struggle with doing the stuff they don't like, mm. maybe they can start with the easier, like somebody at work procrastinates, maybe they can start with the easier emails and get into the, the groove of things. And also, can you explain what is it about the starting and the stopping? What is it with the people procrastinate? Is that they have a problem with the starting? stuff and they also have a problem with
1: stopping when they've started. Well procrastination overlaps a lot with, with ADHD and with adult ADHD. So, um, when I meet with clients to do an assessment, you know, trouble maintaining awareness of tasks and, and intentions, um, secondly, once you're aware, trouble getting started, thirdly, once you're started, trouble with efficiency. Um, And then, I suppose, fourthly, you know, trouble stopping, but fifthly, error in the output, right? So these are kind of nested problems, like Russian dolls. You've got to solve problem one before you can solve problem two, and so on. Uh, Trouble stopping um, seem to correlate with trouble starting, right? Um, And One of the reasons for that is you've had so much trouble starting, you don't want to stop until it's done, because you don't want to have to start again, right? It's very, very
0: true. It's very, very (laughs) true. For the unpreferred, non-preferred mm-hmm. tasks, one is super worried that, okay, I've, I've started now, mm. I might as well go on until the point of even pure yeah. exhaustion, because mm-hmm. who knows, if I stop, I don't know if I can bring myself mm-hmm. to this again. Yeah.
1: So we see uh, loose attention and excessively tight intention. We see OCD and ADHD co-occurring. We see a lot of apparent contradiction, you co-occurring features in the same person. Um, I think Elkanon Goldberg, um, a famous uh, neuropsychologist, a student of Luria, um, a Russian immigrant, talks about what these two problems, starting and stopping problems, have in common is uh, poor regulation according to what's needed in, by the environmental demands, right? That the, the environment needs you to stop right now because it's time to do the next thing. It's a transition, right? And, and you're having trouble accepting that. So now you're really delaying the stopping. You delayed the starting and now it's time to stop and you're having trouble. So um, that can be overcome, but it's going to be harder for you than, say, someone with different neurological settings. But it certainly can be done. Emotion. Was
0: that emotional regulation or thinking regulation?
1: Well, there, it, it's a bit of both, right? It's regulation of attention, maintaining awareness of the big picture, the big picture being the demands of your day. You know, it's time to start now, it's time to stop now. Um, poor tolerance of discomfort can be an emotion regulation issue, I would say. It's a motivational-emotional problem. And uh,
0: are there some exercises that people can do to better regulate their
1: emotions? Yeah, so to continue that list of um, tolerance of discomfort growing exercises, turning this into a game for for the whole of the day, right? You can practice not uh, not getting upset when little daily hassles come along. So having frustration uh, by maintaining an outwardly dignified and kindly facial expression.
0: What if you're boiling inside?
1: You decide to have your discomfort while not conveying it outwardly. You, t- you need to notice and understand it. That'll go, to, that'll go a great distance in helping you have it and reduce it. It's a paradox, right? A lot of paradoxes in psychology. Deciding to have discomfort reduces discomfort. When you take a moment to use internal speech and say, oh, there's that, I understand that. And I'll have that. That's the mental shorthand for notice, understand and accept. There's that. I understand that, or I get that. And I'll have that. That's how it is right now. When you go through that explicit step of moving into the observing mind, noticing and commenting on your internal experience, ending with a decision to have your experience without a big fuss, you know? Like, I think Eckhart Tolle says, no more kicking and screaming for me. I'm just gonna, and then something to the effect of having experience with acceptance, right? Without all the kicking and screaming and fussing. Well,
0: Eckhart Tolle looks a little lethargic to me. Oh, really? For him it's probably No, he's got some great
1: ideas uh, embedded in there.
0: Okay, maybe we talk about that at some other point. Um, Some
1: commonly shared ideas, shared by mindfulness oriented uh, clinicians and writers yeah. my
0: mom likes him a lot. I like like he's writing a lot I, I read a little bit couldn't relate so maybe i'll have a second look mm-hmm. so for emotional regulation the tolerating the discomfort is is one part will meditation help
1: i believe meditation develops the part of the brain that notices what attention's doing Um, I'm talking about a specific kind of meditation. So there's many reasons to meditate. Meditators, through the ages, have different uh, conceptualized reasons for doing it. Um, In my practice, I make use of it to develop the observing mind. The, the part of the brain that pays attention to the thinking process, where attention is, the part of the brain that maintains awareness and can exercise limited control over attention. So, do you want me to go into it, or is that enough? I <laughs> know.
0: Uh, I think. I think meditation. Yeah. When you talk about this, uh, like I was not a person that that meditates at all. Um, never thought about it. Uh, years ago I heard about it, but it, it always seemed a complicated concept to me mm. that, uh, that only a calm person can do. And you know, I can't really sit still. for <laughs> Oh, for yeah, long I get years. that a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, years.
1: Dr. Jones, I'm not good at meditating, so let's not do that.
0: I know. Yes, yeah. yeah, so and I think I, until I dis- discovered and tried the app uh, Headspace, um, I had never yes. attempted at, at meditation. Mm. And and even today, I don't, I can't claim that I do it every day. Mm. But because I have the app, and it has, uh, I think it understands. The app knows, <laughs> or the people that develop the app know, a wandering mind. Uh. They have three minute meditations. Right. Yeah. So that's, and I that's do good. do the three minutes, mm. uh, and it helps. Mm-hmm. It helps a lot. I still don't do it every day. So maybe if you can give examples to people yeah. of easy meditation, maybe the body scan, the 30-second yeah. body scan, or even the simple just the uh, five bucks breathing, then at least people don't have this big cloud in their head that it's a, it's a, it's a complicated thing to do.
1: You brought up the Headspace app, and that's, uh, that's interesting because it's something many years ago I thought I should develop an app. Um, with some meditations and some other stuff too. And then I procrastinated on that task and Headspace popped up. And I think it's it's been very successful and very helpful. Um, And that guy's basking in the California sun while I toil in the Vancouver not so bad up here actually. Um, Headspace is great. Um, the research on the benefits of meditation suggests that um, they're, they're usually based on a protocol where the, what's being attended to is the sensation of the breath without, um, without guidance from some other source like a narrator or, or music or binaural beats or what have you. So what seems to work is the very simple stripped down version of meditation. Bring, bring attention to the sensation of breath. And when your mind wanders into thinking or other perceptions notice and bring attention back to the target and if that happens a hundred times in three minutes that's okay don't get tangled up in judging yourself to be a bad meditator that's also a distraction right darn it i'm so distractible now you're distracted by your distractibility so simply feel the breath and when you wander into other mental activities as soon as possible notice and come back to the breath. If you maintain that intention to stay on the breath, you'll develop capacity for awareness and control over attention. I heard someone describe control over attention as being limited, much like a leash is a limited control over a strong dog when you, when you take your dog for a walk. You can't stop the dog from going in the bushes, but you can use your leash to bring the dog back to the path you know the intended pathway right that's much like our control over attention meditating helps that therefore it helps develop the observing mind i've already talked about the need for that to use the new act uh, method to not procrastinate
0: okay so in this case the dog is our wandering thoughts so when you're when you're meditating the dog
1: is attention and it's, he's wandering into the bushes the bushes are the thoughts in my metaphor. <laughs> okay. All
0: right. So yeah. then you, you bring it back because like I do this exercise sometimes and I tell myself, okay, I'm going to have five breaths. Mm-hmm. The, the boxing, the, the, hold it, the, the one where you breath, breathe in, box the breathing. box breathing. Yeah. Yes. When you breathe in, you hold it for four seconds. You breathe out for four seconds yeah. and then you hold for four seconds again. And I think, okay, it's just five breaths. It's not even going to take a minute. So I'm going to just think about the air that goes in my lungs and the, exhale, mm-hmm. the air that I exhale and comes mm-hmm. out of my lungs. And that's the only thing I'm going to think about for five breaths. It's amazing how difficult this is.
1: To make it happen every to day. To make it happen. <laughs> so and, I, I and tell what's myself- And your, what's your purpose for doing it? What's the, what's the value that's served by box breathing? You mean you would like to do this every day?
0: You no, know, you, just, you just focus on your breath. As a, as a sort of a mini meditation oh, exercise okay. will that work like a uh, mini meditation well because no,
1: you're busy counting so that's your just your attention is divided now between counting and breathing properly so you're thinking about the breath so that's contrary to i mean there's different reasons to meditate but if you're developing if you want the benefits that a lot of the research on breath meditation point to growing neurons in the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, you need to do it the way they said to do it. And, and the theory is that if you're busy counting your breath or needing your breath to have a certain, you know, certain features, certain properties, your attention's now divided between the sensation of breath and all these rules and whether or not you're following them. So you're, you're not really focusing on a singular, on, on sensory data. Which is which is the point of breath meditation? Bring attention to a single target, the sensation of your breath. That's it. That okay. info comes up through the insula, and then um, at the at the bottom of the brain, and then there's projections to the frontal cortex. If you do this, you will help a lot of things, including awareness of where your attention is, because every time your attention leaves the target, you notice and come back to the target. You're now you're you're becoming aware of where attention is going so you're developing an attention to attention you're developing a super attention that's very useful for people who have trouble focusing on a target whether it's your breath or the task that you're doing or a conversation as in a lot of my adhd assessments
0: is that super attention the same as the observing mind it is it is okay so you think about the sensation of the
1: breath. I'm not sure of that, but I I've, I've become <laughs> <laughs> persuaded that it is. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay.
0: So you when you're doing the meditation through the breathing, you do bring your attention to the sensation of breath. Yeah. inside your at, body, at and the belly, else. At,
1: to the belly expanding and contracting, the chest rising and falling, physical sensations there. My favorite is the nostrils. Uh, bringing attention to the feeling of air passing through your nostrils. Again, sensory data You might notice it's slightly cooler on the in-breath, warmer on the out. And that's a nice anchor for attention. It's fairly easy to, for me to stay attending to that for three to five minutes. For
0: three to five minutes. Okay, so maybe next time, hmm. instead of counting, I'll just put a timer and, and try to And without attention. using Headspace. <laughs> <laughs> I like Headspace apps, so yeah, I can actually scooper. continue uh, using Headspace. I think it's a great uh, app with lots of good points.
1: Someone was bound to think of it while I was procrastinating. So.
0: Correct, yes. Um, so we, t- we did talk intensively about, um, rather extensively, mm. about what to do with, uh, with the low tolerance of discomfort, mm. AKA mm-hmm. laziness. Uh, now that, that's another thing that causes another trait or personal attribute that causes the, the, you know, the procrastination is the, the people that cannot delay instant gratification. So they have problem staying focused on a long-term project
1: right well we're really addressing that with tolerance of discomfort if you have poor delay of gratification the flip side of that coin is poor tolerance of discomfort right they're really two sides of the same coin Mm -hmm. so for you to delay gratification to delay watching netflix and to do a task now that has no immediate pleasure in it right there's no payoff now the payoff comes later so that's that's the definition of the ability to delay gratification would you like one cookie now would you like zero one cookie now or three cookies later if you choose three cookies later that means you can't have a cookie now so doing your work uh, gets you three cookies later you get to watch netflix with a feeling of satisfaction that you conquered your procrastination today
0: okay so they. So I guess those, the same strategies that you gave for um, increasing the level of discomfort or having a higher tolerance for discomfort can
1: help yeah. ah, with good. the uh, instant... Yeah, so at the act stage, when you're at the decision point, and you're deciding, should I stay or should I go? Should I do the things or procrastinate? You need to notice, understand, and accept your internal process. So STFA is a way of encoding that. It's a way of analyzing it and getting really clear on your process, how you come to procrastinate, how you came to be a procrastinator developmentally, and now what is your internal process. It's very good to to be explicitly aware of the situations when it's likely to occur, when procrastination does or doesn't happen, right? It's good to have clarity. And that's stuff that you unpack with your therapist or your coach, right? What are the situations where i procrastinate what are the cognitive aspects the thoughts the intent you know what do i pay attention to what are some of the excuses that i generate why i don't have to um, for example the thought that I, more research is needed before i can <laughs> set pen to paper there's a thought that a lot of people buy yeah. into what are the feelings and of course the feelings shift as you move through a uh, decision making time of procrastinating or not. Initially you're anxious, you're dreading the task. When you buy into an excuse that it's okay, that you don't have to do the thing now, there's a feeling of relief and that's very powerful. So buying into those excuses gets reinforced with a reduction in anxiety. Now you go and binge watch Netflix, blow off your tasks, Um, and you're not guilty because you've believed an excuse that reduces anxiety, right? So what's the action tendency? Avoidance. What's the feelings? Well, it depends on the moment, but there's a reduction in anxiety when I buy into my my BS excuses. What are the situations? Well, it's tasks only of a certain nature. Um, Tends to be in the evening when I'm exhausted. By the way, tolerance of discomfort is one of the executive functions. We have a A finite, renewable resource in executive function. Um, If you've practiced self-control all through the day, uh, due to some irritating coworker or what have you, you're going to have much less self-control at the end of the day. It's a finite resource, and it can be depleted. I can. I I, I I did
0: read some about this, and uh, it's it's a lengthy conversation, so I'm not going to bring this in. um. Okay. But yeah, it's it's uh, okay. Yeah, here's the thing. Here's the thought: have energy management practices mm-hmm. rather than time management. If you're somebody that can do cognitive tasks better mm-hmm. in the morning, instead of leaving everything that requires brain energy to the evening, yeah. do that first thing in the morning. Like, in a way, we don't try to force things that that we don't do very well in the evening in the evening and say, no, I have to do this. Mm. Be realistic manage the energy rather than
1: managing the time yeah it kind of brings us back to the ugly frog right the tasks that are most demanding of self-control should be done first
0: when we have the energy
1: when we have the the the, specifically frontal lobe mental energy self-regulation capacity also known as executive function tolerance of discomfort uh, control over attention and all the things that depend on that like planning
0: and when we are not very tired because i think yeah, exactly. part of the part of the not wanting to do things could be that maybe just somebody's just very tired
1: yeah and their self their capacity for self-control has been exhausted it's something you know it accumulates through the day that that form of tiredness as does physical tiredness right
0: correct so i as, as we were discussing as i was researching for the project some people that i talked to They do suffer from their procrastination problem. Uh, Now, this is the opposite of being lazy or having the low tolerance for discomfort. And they tell me that they enjoy the last minute rush and that they like, I mean, I call them last minute rush junkies. (laughs) Okay. It's a bit bit Mm. of a jaded word, but they say they enjoy it, yet they've suffered consequences because of doing things last minute
1: okay so if it's working for you there's nothing to treat um i used to teach abnormal psychology and the students said how do we know when something's a disorder or needs clinical a clinical label or clinical attention so being different isn't enough being deviant on some measurable measurable dimension of behavior is not enough we also need either impairment in functioning or distress So one of those two or both, right? In addition to some measurable difference to say, hey, this is a treatable thing. This needs a label and treatment, right? If the last minute rush is working for you, um, then why stop, right? But for a lot of those people, it works most of the time, but sometimes there's disastrous consequences. Sometimes it does cost them. They go to do it at the last minute and there's just too much to do. and they're now they start then they have a panic process oh my gosh I left it to the last Um, this usually works for me I don't know if I can pull this off and then that panic starts to get in the way of focus and you have an escalating non-functional situation so um, so again behavior change is needed all of the everything we've talked about does apply you have to figure out for yourself is this working for me like Dr. Phil says, how's that working for you? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good
0: question to ask, actually. Um, we did talk uh, a lot about uh, the different strategies that we can apply to get rid of our procrastination for good and deal with all these traits that is stopping us um, from living the life, really, that we want. Yeah. Um, so I thought to maybe wrap it up and then just talk briefly about what we discussed and what are the key points that people uh, need to remember. So should we start with yeah. your first acronyms, first favorite acronyms?
1: Well, um, I've got a PowerPoint that I designed for, for clients, kind of a general behavior change. right? So new mm-hmm. acting, your STFAs. New acting is the solution. STFA is just a way to get really clear on the problem. In episode one, we talked about you know people having different developmental pathways uh, to becoming serial procrastinators. We talked about um, trait differences, kind of inborn traits like ADHD, personality differences. We talked about learning processes. Procrastination tends to get worse over time as as you know dread and feelings of frustration start to get paired with certain categories of tasks, you can see a worsening procrastination cycle. So STFA um, is gonna encode the situations where you procrastinate and you're gonna get really clear on your thoughts, feelings, and action tendencies and how they unfold in real time, in very brief periods of time, when you decide to procrastinate or not. So through reflection or therapy, you can get really clear on the stfa that captures your unique procrastinatory process and then you're called upon to new act that right in real time when it arises when you're clear on the situations you want to notice understand and accept that this this uh, recurring process is occurring right and you want to override it by orienting to your values committing to a value guided action no matter how small and being will- explicitly deciding to tolerate the discomfort that will that will ease the discomfort and make it more tolerable. Just that explicit decision using self-talk to have your discomfort. So, um, four four you know steps: identify your STFAs, get really clear on that. Um, spend some time getting clear on the payoff for no longer procrastinating. So that requires values clarification. How will my life be better if I can change this recurring pattern?
0: Sometimes I think about that we all have our values, and then for, for some it's active and guides their life, and for some has got has got a bit dormant. And I think when people procrastinate and do the things that, or s- delay doing the things that they were supposed to do, it's in the back of their head. These dormant values right. are what causes yeah. in this. in the back of your head. Exactly, yeah. because people mm. don't exactly don't mm. completely feel happy. They are doing something that is supposed to be fun, yeah. but something in the back of dimly their head. Dimly aware. Exactly, yeah. dimly yeah. aware. So, that something in the back of their head is bothering them, and I think that's these dormant values. Mm-hmm. So, it's good to bring those to the forefront. Forefront. So, yes.
1: ACT therapy um, guidance from these authors, Stephen Hayes and colleagues. Um, instructs us to spend time with clients helping them get clear on their values so that these are more at the front of of awareness when you're in these decision moments deciding whether or not to have your discomfort right
0: to tolerate discomfort and be your own friend in this long process
1: yeah so so get clear on your patterns clarify your values new act in the moment that's a good way of mindfully processing orienting committing and then Point four I had in my notes here is to be compassionate with yourself as you move towards the desired state. To tolerate being one for ten, you can get traction from that. Getting tangled up in in hating that is not going to help you move to two out of ten, and hopefully eight or nine out of ten. Yes, yes, and
0: um, so once once we have these all figured out, then maybe just a quick review of those physical activities that we could do that will help us?
1: Yes, you want to bring a playful attitude. Uh, Stephen Hayes talks about bringing a playful attitude to behavior change um, can really help with the heavier things. Right? So um, I came up with a list of, of things where Underlying all of them is a decision to have discomfort for the sake of a goal. So, taking cold showers, um, not swearing when you drop something—you um, know, there you're, you're annoyed, and maybe there's a there's a habit of cursing or some utterance, some vocalization. You're not going to do that. You're going to have a little breath and you're going to bend over and pick it up with a dignified expression on your face same when you're in traffic if you're a chronic road rager um, but you keep the windows up Um, just don't have those expressions just notice i remember my dad waving at bad drivers when i was a kid and saying bless you and i said dad why what are you doing what's that about and so that's consistent with having discomfort and not getting tangled up in unhelpful responses. Um, doing a plank without grimacing, um, having a do it now attitude with all sorts of things like doing the dishes or tidying up, you know, and being conscious that this is, this is in the service of developing um, the muscle, right, if you will, of having discomfort for the sake of your goals. You could probably generate more just by looking for situations in life where you're gonna have discomfort now um, without a lot of fuss and you're gonna do so for the sake of your values.
0: Okay, well that that was a good good summary, mm. thank you. And then I will include in the show note captions mm. some diagrams to help people because mm. we use a lot of acronyms because you like <laughs> your acronyms <laughs> yeah, to yeah. help people to understand what we discuss huh. And hopefully this is, this is going to help our listeners. Certainly I learned a lot and I think I am Probably from tomorrow, I'm going to be a super tasker. I'd like to thank you uh, for your time today. really Mm. enjoyed our conversations. I look forward to our future sessions on uh, procrastination. Thanks.
1: This has been a great benefit to me as well. It's helped me get clear on my thoughts, and uh, it's going to help me be a better practitioner. So thank you for having me, Shabna.
0: Thanks. Thanks, Africa.